Hello and welcome to Just Stories. We share inspiring stories of real people leading lives impacted by social justice, advocacy, and service. Here how our guests have used their experiences to make a difference in the lives of others. And remember, it's all about the story, theirs and yours. Just Stories. Hey, Mark. Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're moving from 2020 to 2021, and everybody's excited about that, right? Oh, yeah. Totally excited. Did you stay awake? We did. Through- we did. You did? We had, we had um, food fest this, week, this past couple of days. As you know, uh, my wife's background is Chinese and mine is German, so on New Year's Eve, we made 70 Chinese dumplings. And oh. we, we chowed down on dumplings and shared them with the grandmas, which was fun. Uh, and then yesterday we had German fest. So it was all about sausage and sauerkraut. So nice. we've, we've kind of enjoyed a little time cooking and, and eating uh, this past oh, yeah. couple of days. How about you? We've been doing a lot of cooking, a lot of cooking around here. It's like to the point like this morning. Um, I ran out of storage containers I, <laughs> and I don't want to buy anymore. I don't, I just, don't, I, I ran a refrigerator space. Um, I made some really great soups the other week. And so they're still there. And it's like, I'm cooking faster than I can eat. Do you enjoy cooking? I love cooking. Yeah. Cooking is a passion. And, but the problem with my cooking is that I cook in vast quantities, right? So it's like, I have to learn how to pare it down to maybe four servings rather than eight to 12. (laughs) I do look for for the recipes though that say like serves like four (laughs) to six. I do. And I try to like split it up, but you know, I'm running out of space. Do you have a second fridge? I do. Isn't that crazy? I have a second fridge. And you know what? There's a box over here. I don't know. There's a box right here and it's from Amazon. And I just ordered some organizational um, plastic bins for my refrigerator. Oh, there you <laughs> go. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'll be able to bring some organization to this chaos, but you know, it's still a blessing. I mean, l- listen to me, like talking about how much right. food I have. My we, goodness gracious. We, uh, I, we, we call those first world problems, right? Yeah. This We're... is a first world problem. No. <laughs> this is definitely a first world problem, yeah. but yeah, but Julia loves the baking. My daughter, Julia loves yeah. the baking and I love the cooking. So you know, soup to nuts. We're all, we're good yeah. here. Yeah. And your son just loves to eat it all. He loves to eat it all. <laughs> he really does. He does. Okay. So, well, I'm glad to know that you had a great um, time celebrating the new year and uh, feeding your family so well. Um, who do we have with us today? Well, Gina, I'm so excited to introduce our listeners to John Allen Bork. He and I have known each other over many years, and we just resonate on so many different levels. And so uh, it's such a pleasure to have him uh, as a guest on Just Stories today. Uh, John Allen was born in Florida and raised in the Jim Crow South, and he attended segregated schools where white supremacy was ingrained. He attended college in Illinois where he heard a call to ordained ministry. During that time, he was exposed to a a wide diversity of views, and he was able to meet and march with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and he'll be telling us a little bit more about that in a bit. John Allen is ordained as a United Methodist pastor and served congregations on the south side of Chicago in Dalton, Thornton, and Harvey. He's also served in the Rockford area and most recently in Park Ridge before retiring uh, back in 2009. 
I have retired, but not inactive. He's been very active in so many different ways. Uh, he's a member of the Anti-Racism Task Force, uh, which is a power of, uh, part of the Power Ministry at Our Savers Lutheran, and that's one way that he's contributed among many. Uh, he's married to his lovely wife, Janet, and they have four adult children, as well as four granddaughters. But John Allen, I guess, no grandsons yet, huh? Uh, not yet. I have a great nephew <laughs> uh, in, in France. Uh, he's the only only male in that generation. I see. I see. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, how are things going for you in this second day of the new year? Yes. Uh, hope filled that it'll be different from 2020. Um, mm. we, um, we try to walk some days but they the last few days have not been up for that so we try to keep active and we think we're doing well uh, keeping busy with outside activities uh, rather than just uh, watching netflix all day so uh we we think uh, we think we're doing well uh, janet's a wonderful cook uh we try to be careful and shopping as infrequently uh as we can uh, uh fresh fruits and vegetables are the real challenge uh but uh, we've managed uh, a process and just are very careful, very careful. Great. Yeah, we all have to be careful and active. <laughs> it's, it's the risk to not be active enough during this, this time. Yes. Well, tell us a little bit, uh, getting into to, uh, what we're going to be talking about today. You, were, you grew up in segregated South. Uh, it's an environment that most of us really can't uh, really, really understand. Perhaps you can start off by telling us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, I was reflecting the other day that when I was in, in first grade, uh, I remember, I think it's my best friend, Gary, uh, stopping me one day. I remember, the, I remember the street intersection. I'm only five or six years old. And he said to me, Johnny, which is what they called me in my neighborhood, just remember, no matter how poor, how bad you are, you are always better than. And, of course, he was referring to people of color. Hmm. I have a distinct remember then of, of, my, of, of white supremacy. And that it was taught, not my, my parents didn't so much. And I don't know where Gary's parents got that. But that was what was reinforced all through uh, grade school in subtle ways. And that was in uh, Ardmore, Oklahoma, where I started school and eventually graduated. But in the interim, I attended schools in North Carolina and Mississippi. And there's, it was those experiences that really taught me uh, to be really almost a bigot. In fact, today, after my experience is uh, in college, I consider myself a recovering racist. Hmm. That's a phrase, yeah, most people haven't heard before. We think about recovering other things, but a recovering racist, huh? Yeah, and it's one that says it's similar. I don't think you ever get rid of it. That's my opinion. Hmm. As, a, uh, as in our country, I've come to see that uh, if you live in a, a country where white supremacy is present, then you're a racist. I know that sounds pretty tough for people, but I've come to um, I've I've come to believe that. Uh, you know, the childhood experiences I, I can remember uh, several, especially in Mississippi, uh, uh, 
having chants on the, on the bus for the band going to a, an away mm-hmm. football game uh, that were very derogatory. Uh, but we, we just joked and laughed about it. And the, pre- the pressure uh, was there. Whenever I questioned it, they would always say, that's just the way it is. That's just, you know, that's just the way it is. Uh, I, I don't know if I owned the Confederate battle flag, but I certainly remember seeing them everywhere. In fact, <laughs> uh, even when I went to college, uh, a friend from the South also brought it, and we, we, we hoisted upon the flagpole. We took down the U.S. flag, and, I mean, on, on, on Robert E. Lee's birthday. And they were, we were sent as, uh, as heroes. When I was in Mississippi, uh, I, I had transferred, so I didn't take it. But they have a whole year of, of, of the Civil War. It was called the War of Northern Aggression. Mm-hmm. And you had to know the generals, the battles, the names of their horses, their wives. I mean, it, it is a, a reverence almost. And it was always about states' rights. And... Um, and there was excuses of why they, um, uh, why the North won. And in fact, <laughs> if I could say this, for a long time I thought "damn Yankees" was one word. Uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've it, reflect on that, but uh, there were some uh, very embarrassing moments uh, when I would question things. And I remember one: we were making a. Uh, homecoming float in Mississippi in October. It was very warm in a brand new building. It had never been, it was a co-op for farmers. And I remember going into the lobby that was not opened yet and going up to a water fountain, brand new water fountain and taking a gulp of good clear water and, and my classmates laughing because somebody had taken a sheet of notebook paper and scotch taped it up and said colored only. Mm. And I, and, and I mean, and it was that kind of thing and seeing signs like that in the in stores where the, the white would be a nice porcelain water fountain and then next to it would be like a spigot, you know, for colored. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, when I was real small, I remember going to one of those, really expecting uh, strawberry Kool-Aid to come out maybe. But, but I mean, that's how. And, and also um, in, in the movies where uh, people of color would be upstairs, you know, white only signs for service, uh, all of that stuff just reinforced uh, that idea of of white superiority. So, you know, you talk about it from, you know, growing up in a neighborhood, going through a school system, just living, you know, your regular life um, in the South. And, you know, the way that, the, the thinking just permeated, um, even challenge your own core beliefs. I, I think the reason we're here today is just talk about like, when did you make that turnaround point? Because we're talking about deep, intentional core values that you had that you, you knew were tugging at you, like there's something wrong here. Like, was there a moment or a person or something you read that actually helped you flip that script for yourself yeah let me let me i just thought of one other incident gene that happened we we were my 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 grandparents my mother was born in florida and so we were coming back from vacationing there uh through alabama and 
I went through Montgomery during the Montgomery bus boycott. Mm, and I remember my, yeah. my folks talking about all the people walking. And I, I have to say that my mom and dad did not agree on, on the racial issue. Uh, mom mm. was very open. She, she was raised uh, uh, as, as a devout Christian in the, in the Methodist denomination. And my dad, incidentally, was a pastor in another denomination. But I remember that they, they, were, they just observed it. They didn't swear, didn't say this was awful. They just observed all the people walking. And, and uh, you know, so that kind of was the background. I, I came up to Aurora uh, to go to college. I had never been there before. And the first thing I, I met after administration was my assigned roommate, Ralph. Ralph was not my color of skin. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, in fact, I said, Ralph, Ralph, are you a Negro? Oh. And he just laughed. He said, no, I'm, he was from British, then British Guiana. So his okay. heritage would be Indian, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, British, Indian. And, and, and so that's, that's that. Then my, my assignment, assigned seating in a large lecture, most classes are very small, but I was assigned next to a, a woman who was, I've never seen anybody that black. She was almost blue. Mm. And I remember before I sat down, I looked at my Southern friends wondering how I was going to break the code. I mean, I knew you couldn't shake hands with a person of color. That was just, it was an unwritten Jim Crow. There were, there were written Jim Crow laws and there were ones that were social. Uh, and, and that was one. You, you never touched a person. You never looked in the eye. I mean, there were just a lot of things you pick up as a child. So that, that was disturbing enough. Just just being in Ralph, being a roommate, very smart man. He got a full scholarship. Uh, wow. He's, he's written, he's got two PhDs. We keep in touch. He's <laughs> written several books uh, on the Medi- uh, on the Caribbean, because that's, <laughs> even though Guiana's in South America, geographically, it's really a Caribbean uh, sure. nation. Uh, so, so those experiences <clears throat> um, and people, the people from California, New England said, Mark, what's wrong? I said, I'm, look, I'm not colorblind. They say, I don't see color. I said, well, I do. I mean, I, I, I don't what's wrong with you people. But it, it was, uh, I, and you talk about a pivotal instance. I remember one uh, class I was in, in religion class, and I wrote in my King James Version of the Bible with the red letters and all that. You know, that, that was my Bible. And it said, I wrote in there, to discriminate against God's creation is to discriminate against God. Now, that was with my head, but my heart didn't feel that way. But my head certainly felt that way. And there was discussions. This was in the 60s. Now, this is civil rights time. This was uh, uh, the feminist movement. This was an upheaval uh, in our country. And so there were a lot of discussions and so I began to say, well, okay, but well, I could never date a woman of color. I could, you know, Ralph and I got along. We didn't room after one year. Then that was it. But the, the most pivotal experience was uh, my fourth year of, of college uh, in March of 1965. Uh, there was a group going in to hear Martin Luther King at the Chicago Sunday Evening Club. 
uh, which was uh, mm. it, it built an orchestra hall on Michigan Avenue every and it was a lay led thing. And we I think I've been in there before to to hear a lecture or. And so they said, come. I said, no, I don't want to go. I mean, everywhere King goes, there's always trouble. So he must be causing the trouble mm-hmm. because the previous Sunday had been what is now known as Bloody Sunday on March. Bloody Sunday. March right. 7th. Well, this was mm-hmm. a Sunday right after that. And mm-hmm. so I said, okay, I'll, I'll go, and I will take with me <clears throat> um, what I picked up in, high, in junior high and high school, the 30 biblical reasons for segregation. I said, I'm going to go in, and I, I'm here. I am. I've been four years. I'm a theology student, and I'm going to shoot down all of his arguments because, you know, I'm, I'm a college guy. I know stuff. So I go in with my sheet and my notebook, and, and I sit there, and and I kind of knew it was a worship service, but I did not think. I thought more be a rally, and he'd talk about, you know, he'd talk about Selma and Wright. No. All he t- talked about was the the height and length and depth and breadth of God's love. Mm. And wow. during that service, Gene, it felt like a volcano erupted of 20-some years of hate and crap and awful stuff just exploded. And I'm not sure I was trembling, but, boy, I was sure shaken. So after the service, my friend Ted, who now lives, retired clergy, he lives in Florida, we walked back to to meet him, and there's nobody around. I I thought there'd be people lined up like you do in church, you know, go shake their hands. They, They weren't around. And, and two things, I went up to him, and he was the same height as myself. No, I'm a, oh. I mean, I thought he was real towering Jesse Jackson, tall, six. No, no. And so I went up to him. I shook his hand. I said, Dr. King, I don't know what's happened to me. I'm just really. He's, so he put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, you'll be all right. I'll be praying for you. Wow. And um, I, I, I reflect on that. And and that has given me courage every year since that, over the last 50-plus years. I drove back. We went back to Aurora from Chicago, and I didn't sleep that night. All It's, it's like, you know, um, Jacob's Ladder type struggling with, you know, with the angel just wrestling. And then, then two days later, we got an invitation to go to Selma for people. Mm. I was in the student government, so I— I, I said, I think, I don't know, should I go or not go? This is so very, very different. I know how folks down there feel. I'm scared. Sure. You know, people have been killed. The, the workers in, in, in Mississippi, where I had not far from where I had lived, the three civil rights workers were killed, uh, you know, on voter registration. And then people mm-hmm. have been killed at Selma. So I called home. School said we had to have permission from parents then. And my mom answered the phone, and she said, well, I think you should, but it's a good thing your dad didn't answer the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, yes, yeah, so Saturday, uh, I boarded uh, a bus of other students. There was the four of us from Aurora and then uh, many from North Central College and neighboring colleges. We drove um, uh, all night. We drove all day and then all night. And uh, we were we were we were frightened because, in fact, we couldn't get a bus driver halfway through uh, because they they Mm. knew because buses were being shot at because 
people in the South knew that civil rights workers were coming down and they would shoot at the buses. Yeah. Uh, and wow. we were taught freedom songs. We were taught to protect ourselves mm-hmm. on the way down, knowing we, we may get hurt. I mean, we all knew that on the bus. But my friend Ted, his parents said he couldn't go, so he didn't go. But so then the next Sunday, which would, which would have been the 21st, I was at, at front of Brown's Chapel listening to Dr. King speak again. Uh, and out in front was the most diverse group of people I had ever been with. There, there were hippie people. There were nuns. There were atheists. There were clergy, all sorts and kinds of people. And then we said, let's go. And, and they instructions were we couldn't sing. Uh, mm. But we had the guys... They said that the women should sit toward the, we bought three or four abreast and, and guys would be on the side. And I uh, went through what what they call colored town first. But as we got closer to the bridge, it was white. And I've heard stuff. And I don't know if I've ever recalled saying the kinds of things they said, but it was it was frightening. Uh, they, hmm. they spit on us. They called us names. Uh, I don't think any of us got hurt. Some they may have thrown small stones and rocks at us and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So then, mm-hmm. um, so we kept walking. And but the people, uh, the black folks would say, "Don't let them turn you around. Don't let them turn you around." And there were a lot of people of color with us. This was not just you know this was, but it was about fifteen hundred people. And we Whoa. we crossed the bridge, and then uh, where the Bloody Sunday took place, and then there was a National Guard, and. Uh, most mm-hmm. of us there, all but 300 had to leave. Only 300 were allowed to walk to the Capitol, uh, to, to Montgomery, uh, uh, mm-hmm. because of the, uh, the protection that was afforded. But so then we, we, we got back on the bus um, and, and came back to Aurora. And it's interesting when I got back, uh, these friends of mine, these quote liberal friends from uh, California and other places, they said, "Man, you went too far this time. You went too far. We we didn't mean for you to go that far." Well, so I wasn't really ostracized, but uh, the people I thought I would I'd finally come up to their level of acceptance. Now they found they they did they didn't really disown me or that thing, but. I was not celebrated as a hero or anything like that. I mean, it was like you're mm. odd or you're mm. radical. And John Allen, this all happened only a week after you had heard Martin Luther King speak the first time. You were, your transformation in that regard was was a fast one. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, am I right? It, as you, it, you said, it, explosive it was, it was in like, some ways. It was like, you know, Saul getting knocked off his horse on the way to Damascus. It was that radical... A, a shift. The other people with me, it was less radical for them. It was an experience, but but and I mm-hmm. I really uh, the 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 emotion of a of a cathartic experience uh, was paramount mm-hmm. to what was really happening. Uh, and I've mm-hmm. reflected on it in the past, but but then it was it 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 was about me. It was about my whole being being transferred and, and changed. And even though, and I, I have to say this, you know, I was, I was a theology student. I was preparing for the ministry. You know, I was a good person. I had gone to church, oh, but there was something 
not right. Not not there was not there, it mm-hmm. was incomplete. Uh, and that I think I became a whole person after that experience. And so what happened? Like, so you finish out your mm-hmm. semester, right? And then do you graduate from your school? Then you move on. And, and how did you use this moment to push you forward to this day where you're a sitting member of um, anti-racist groups? Uh, you're fa- you, you've preached at many uh, churches and you've been a member of many churches and leadership of many churches. Like, how have you made that moment, like, fuel you for no, thank you Jean. it's a good question uh i did not graduate mm-hmm. that year i've been there four years that was 65 mm-hmm. uh the, the school i was in they had another degree uh, a bachelor's degree in theology for another year it took me two more years i was, I was having such a good time okay. in college i just get along <laughs> but 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 that summer i i marched i marched mm-hmm. in, in chicago for open housing uh, and uh, again, oh. people were critical of that. Again, saying you had gone too far. Uh, and so, from from then on, uh, yes, I think people of faith are a little bit reluctant to get into the marketplace. You know, they'll go into their building and but out in the marketplace. They, but I found myself participating in marches everywhere. I have been a pastor. I've introduced ideas carefully because I know what a struggle it, it was for me. I mean, in any class I have taught, every time I've taught a class on, on racism, white privilege, I, I just thank the people for their courage to face a demon that's almost in the white DNA. And, and, mm-hmm. and um, I, I, I've, so I would I would do things like well it's Black History Month so I, you know I guess we could do something I'd find ways to kind of easily do that well I don't do it I'm do I'm becoming more bold I'll put it that way uh, you know since George Floyd and other things uh, and I can remember teaching some classes at our Saviors early on and the class after they said you know our our the people who sit with in our pews they need to hear this we didn't know. We just did not know. And I, I, I say again, a lot of it is being ignorant. People of color have to deal with it every second of every day. White folks only occasionally when they read a book or go to a class. So I've, I've been critical. My, my family says I see racism under every rock, but I think it is. Uh, and and I, I'm sure I've lost some friends over the years, but I've also... I think I've helped some people to um, have their eyes open. Hmm. John Allen, um, your story is a powerful one, and um, and it's changed your life, obviously. And and uh, thank you for sharing some of the ways that it's affected your ministry, even up to today, and some of the classes you've been involved in. And I know you're involved in uh, anti-racism uh, uh, that task force at our church. Um, what what might you want to tell our listeners today uh, as far as how they might um, be involved, uh, how they might uh, respond to your story? Yes, I, I think that there's, there's two levels. One is ed- education. Is uh, I remember uh, Lyndon Johnson saying about the quote, the Negro problem. No, this is a white problem. White people made the rules. White people maintain them. And people, have, especially white men, are, are still in control. 
and it's it's they need and doesn't mean that white women can't change either but it, it's a white problem so one is just education there's there's a plethora of books out right now some are easier to read than others and i don't need to give titles you can find those you can you can google and find them or you can go to our savior's website under power there's a whole list of books in fact i'm i'm reading some now i i i, I read when i first right after selma i began to read and i found out what i did not know it was never taught in school and and so i would say get yourself together read and secondly to, to talk to people of color I, I've talked to some, they say, look, Bork, I don't have time to figure your stuff out. I've got to deal with this over here. Find a person of color who's willing to at least say what it's, and, and, and really push. Don't say you have a black friend unless you've had them over for dinner when pandemic gets by. And really ask the questions <clears throat> and say, yeah, I want, you really want to hear? And say, yes, I want, I want to hear. I, my, my clergy colleagues, when I was active as a pastor, would go up to Lake Geneva for uh, a three-day retreat every fall. Every time, every time we went, one of my colleagues of color would get stopped. I never got stopped, and I was speedy. Mm. And and we wow. we don't. I, and they would not say much about it because they were embarrassed to say that. I mean, who's who's going to say they got stopped by mm. the police? But we we don't. And mm. and part of my work in Arlington Heights. Uh, to try to get at least one, at least one officer who's African-American on the department somewhere. So there's some challenges in what are nice places. So, and get involved. Uh, you know, if you really bold, put a Black Lives Matter sign in your front yard and see what happens. I mean, you know, what does that cost? That, well, you better mm -hmm. buy three because two, two of them are going to get... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, gonna be taken. And, uh, uh, the the anti-racism task force uh just google on the on the our savior's website and find a way i could go on i'll stop with that well those are all great 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 words of advice and uh, we'll also put some links on uh, the podcast to the uh power ministry uh that's hosted by our saviors so people can access some of the resources you you described uh john allen what a great great story and great time that you've uh you've shared with us thank you so much for for being with us today yeah, thank you thank for you, the john invitation And that wraps up another episode of Just Stories. We hope you've enjoyed this time and you'll join us again. Just Stories is a partnership with Our Savior's Lutheran Church, an ELCA member church where all are welcome and we join in God's reconciling work which prioritizes disenfranchised, vulnerable, and displaced people in our communities and the world. Your hosts are people of Christian faith and recognize that God works through many vehicles, including those of differing or no faith background. Our guests may or may not be members of our saviors. See you next time.